Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello, Dan Hasler here from Cut Through Coaching, and welcome to episode eight of the Habits of Leadership podcast. You might be aware that every now and then, Tim Perkins from Cut Through and I uh, put together a, a Q&A program based on some of the questions from our listening community. One of the questions we received um, a short time ago related to how we might encourage more uh, women to step into leadership positions uh, within education. And given that Tim and I are both middle-aged white blokes, we weren't necessarily confident that we would be the best um, people placed to, to try and answer those questions. So rather what I thought I'd do is invite someone to talk to us today um, who has researched women in uh, school leadership extensively and has just published a new book, in fact, called Step In, Step Up, Empowering Women for the School Leadership Journey. Her name is Barbara Waterston, and together with Jane Kais, she's co-authored this book, which is available through Hawker Brownlow. But I just wanted to um, invite Barb on today to, to share a little bit of her expertise in and around leadership and women in particular in educational leadership. Given that there are literally thousands and thousands of leadership books out there, um, why have you chosen to write another one um, in particular with um, the focus on, on women in leadership? Uh, yeah, thanks, Dan. Thanks thanks for having me on. And, um, and the question is exactly right. You're going to airports and you'll see many of the, the books that focus on leadership. And I suppose... Um, what jumped out for me in the work that I do uh, in education and in professional learning was really around um, if we're looking firstly at education, what is it that we need? And we know that uh, high-quality teaching is so, so important for, for student outcomes. But second to that um, is, uh, is high-quality leadership. And so from a number of perspectives, it was, well, what are we doing about leadership development more broadly, but also more specifically in education? And then as we started to unpack that and you start to, to look at the statistics, if, if having a high-quality leader in every school is so important and if more than 70% of the workforce in education is made up of women, why is it that 50% or less of those in school leadership and probably even less in the principalship more specifically uh, are not women? So for me it was are we missing out an enormous amount of talent untapped talent um, in, in, our, in our workforce that can ensure that we have um, many, a diverse range of leaders but also uh, more women being represented in the leadership ranks. And equally, and if we're talking about diversity, uh, we'd, we'd like to have, you know, it would be so valuable also to have more, more men in teaching as well, particularly in the primary school. Yeah, and it's one of the things which jumped out at me when I was reading reading your book, which we'll sort of talk a little bit more in, in detail. It's called Step In and Step Up, and um, you've co-authored that with Jane. Is it Kais? Is that how we pronounce that? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, one of the things which uh, jumped out at me really quickly reading that was you speak about um, males, broadly, I guess, being more intentional about their leadership journeys, whereas females tend to be more circumstantial I'm, I, is, is that something that you um, have, have seen really play out in in schools and, and if so like how, how does that play out and, and why do you think that's the case 
Yeah, it certainly does play out in schools. And I think that it sort of comes back to, to the barriers. And so there's the, the external barriers, but internal barriers. And even, I mean, just recently, I was just reading a um, Harvard Business Review piece around um, women in leadership. And the same things came up with regards to confidence and um, really acknowledging what it is that we what, what we bring to our work. And then as I was exploring this myself even further, um, you know, just the turn of the century, which makes me sound old, um, was about, you know, it's almost like the 80-20 the rule. I, I think men are really good at being strategic about their career pathways and women less so and certainly less so um, in school leadership. And, um, and how can we be more strategic? And, but firstly, do I have all the skills and competencies that are required to be a school leader? And I think what men do really well is think, well, I'm actually going to be learning on the job. Yes, yes, I have, you know, a certain amount, I have um, expertise here, but I can also learn that on the job. Whereas women tend to think I have to be perfect. I have to have all the acumen, the, scholar, the, the skills, uh, the information, the expertise before I'll even apply for a job. So they're kind of, um, they're our default, classically, our default position is to deselect, deselect until we absolutely have all the necessary skills and expertise, which is, a bit of an oxymoron because you can't have it unless you've done it. Mm. So um, I think it's 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 that that kind of default position. And 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 to unpack that a little bit further, and I think that's what's really great about some of the professional learning that we offer. And hopefully, I mean, that certainly was the intention of the book um, to to open that up for people to to consider that is is and and what might be blocking or barriers for people that we may recognise. So other school leaders being really, really proactive in, in seeking out talent and recognising it early and nurturing it early for, for whether you're male or female, but predominantly people who tend to sort of stand back um, were, were women. This is what we're, was certainly what I was finding uh, in the research. Yeah, and you've mentioned a few times now that the barriers, and uh, I think one of them um, you kind of spoke to, the, the, the internal barrier of perfectionism. Is that another way of saying that, you know, blokes have got more, you know, they rate their attitude over their aptitude. <laughs> they'll just they'll just jump in and have a go. Or, um, but, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. Mm. Um, and um, and that's why we sort of tend to hold ourselves back, whereas as men, men are much more strategic in that and, um, and their confidence rating. So even if, if we, you and I have the same level of experience, expertise, mm. um, the stats tend to sort of show that I would rate myself a little lower. Mm. Um, and, and I think we need to, you know, sort of challenge that. And there's a whole piece around, you know, gender and expectations and so on. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering to what extent those internal barriers are actually a result of the, you know, the more broader societal barriers. Um, you know, you've mentioned that word a few times. I'm, I'm curious as to what are some of the specific um, gender barriers that you see come through in your research and as I said again with a particular lens on education because as you said right at the start I mean th there are so many more female you know and f so many more women teaching than blokes particularly in primary school and and yet um, that doesn't play out so so what are those you know if there's one or two what are the most prominent ones which um, really present um, as a, that also certainly have come through in your research? So in the research, if you take that back a little bit further in terms of gender and social construction of gender and what holds us back, it is the, it's, it's that we devalue the feminine. So when I was, uh, first did my, my own thesis, I guess, was, was actually really looking at single-sex classes in co-ed primary schools. And it really came about at the time when um, 
um, we're looking at the, the, the impact of particularly boys' behaviour on, on learning. Um, and there was, you know, so that was my area of focus, but also um, looking at literacy levels and, and achievement levels and, and boys weren't achieving, particularly in the, uh, towards the end of primary school, that um, their scores were a little lower. So I thought, well, what, what does that actually mean? And so um, a number of schools at the time, this was the, the early 2000s, were looking at what's a way that we can um, open up broader views of what it means to be a boy or a girl. And more recently, um, there was a there's this great um, study called Redraw the Balance when we're looking at um, stereotyping and how early that starts. Mm. And, the, um, and, and the findings were that stereotypes are embedded in the early years. And so what that means is that we completely, um, the students are starting to make decisions based on, based on their gender as opposed to uh, their interest, uh, their skills, mm. um, and something is more of a masculine role or a feminine role. And clearly now, I mean, as we look at... Um, you know, the greater diversity of, of um, women going to more male-dominated fields and vice versa, but um, but really looking at what does that mean in terms of leadership. So if you look at uh, leadership more broadly um, in, in any sphere, um, women are highly underrepresented. And we can ask, well, why is that? Is that choice for women? Mm. Or is, is it that we're not seeing as women as leaders? Or are we making different judgments about women as leaders? If you do a Google search for leadership, what comes up? Predominantly male figures. If you do a Google search for principles, what comes up? Predominantly male male figures as well. Yeah. So it's a very, I think, you know, to, taking that one step further, my question to myself is leader, leadership agenda concept. And if it is, um, what can we do to uh, challenge that? And I think particularly when we come back to schools, that's really about, or, or it, to anyone, any woman who's thinking about leadership, is create your own identity of leadership, what that is, mm. you. And it doesn't, it, doesn't, and it doesn't have to be male. It's just taking the qualities of male leadership, those strengths, but also those feminine qualities when we talk about archetypes, you know, those behaviours that we associate more with the masculine or the feminine. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about those those archetypes? What, what are some of the differences when we talk about um, male, masculine or feminine leadership archetypes? So I suppose when you're thinking, um, when we look at traditional archetypes, um, the masculine um, archetypes around being more analytical, linear, logical, objective, goal-orientated, the feminine archetypes are passionate, Intuitive, empathetic, creative. I mean, these are these are the language and behaviours that we associate with the masculine or feminine. Mm. And Adam, I, um, sorry, Dan, when you were talking about um, Adam um, Voigt um, putting mm. the book up, um, and and that's what prompted you to contact me. Yep. And then you're saying, oh, look at that and the archetypes. And so, so your response was, well, I think I've got more of the feminine archetypes. Than the yeah. archetypes. And, and we can see that. So you can see that even with women, there's women have lots of the masculine archetypes and the feminine. Mm. And so the point about that is we kind of, we, we make it an either-or proposition. Mm. And so what Jane and I are arguing in the book is that we need, we, we need to value both sets of archetypes and the qualities that they both bring. And predominantly the archetype of leadership has been masculine. Right. And bringing that feminine voice and that feminine perspective, whether you're a male or a female, whatever gender you are, mm. um, is important. So if you think even about, um, if you're thinking about 
how that plays out in schools. When, um, so the, the masculine would be around, if we're saying, if we're breaking those archetypes up, what, what might that look like? So is it about test scores? Is it about standards? Uh, or is it about whole child? Um, is it about creativity? Is it about whole person versus um, academic results? Uh, and so on. Mm. And, and you argue um, in, in the book that sometimes because of these archetypes, uh, I remember just as I was flicking through yesterday, the, you know, sometimes uh, male members of staff might expect their principal to be more caring or more almost mother-like and you actually cite a, a principal who talks about I'm not your mum moments um in, in leadership and I, I did have to have a laugh at that but like could you just draw that out a little bit more because it seems you know we, we, what, what does that actually mean when we have these archetypes and we're expecting certain things from people and people then don't live up to that how does how does this play out in a, in a workplace so do we have a different expectations of a leader because they're male or female and quite often when we're talking to women, um, there is that expectation, but there's also that challenge, like that double bind. I mean, in the, in the Catalyst report, there's been enormous reports and uh, research around uh, expectations. Um, and, and even it was really interesting, I was just uh, working with a group of emerging female leaders and, and one was saying how, how negative she felt about somebody uh, calling her determined. And that was a negative thing because she shouldn't be seen to be determined because then that kind of led to, to arrogance and um, she didn't want to be seen that way. Whereas if you're a male and you were determined, that would be okay. Mm. Um, and so there was some internal stuff going on for her there, but in external expectation, oh, you know, are you, are you blowing your own trumpet? You know, we're not expecting that of you as a female, but we're less so uh, demanding of that of the male. So even going back to the Catalyst report, um, you know, we can't be seen as too soft or too tough, but it's sort of never just right or that high confidence threshold where um, women leaders face high standards and lower rewards than men and, and, and how that plays out and being seen as competent but uh, and being disliked. So the, the other piece that came out of their research was women leaders are perceived as competent or liked, but rarely both. Mm. So it's... It's a bit of a challenge in terms of, of expectations. So going back to the I'm not your mum moments, just because I'm female doesn't mean to say I'm going to have all of these, um, this, this is the way that we can interact because that's how you perceive me. Mm. Um, and I wouldn't expect, and, and her point was the person that I was talking to about that was saying they wouldn't expect that of a male or they would be, um, you know, they would respond a little differently or they wouldn't have even asked that question. Um, so that's how it played out for her. Yeah, right. Uh, your your book, um, I've mentioned it, Step In and Step Up. It's it's. Um, I mean, you've mentioned a little bit here about you know the internal barriers, and it strikes me that um, each of the chapters in here sort of tackles a different element of um, women in leadership. But it's not necessarily telling people what to do. It's it's more of a. It looks well, it certainly comes across to me as more of a an inward kind of reflection you know, for, for, for over an extended period of time. And it seems to really try and leverage, you know, areas of emotional intelligence. And, and, and why, why did you, you know, I guess, why did you and um, Jane decide to go down that tr track where it's kind of like a, a journaling um, uh, approach rather than a, hey, just, just do this and you'll be sweet approach? Because I think when you think about, and I think you'd know this too, Dan, in terms of the professional, professional learning or how we learn and how we grow, it's um, it, having that time to be really reflective is absolutely critical. I mean, I work with a lot of different leaders and really um, 
it's it, it's not a quick fix and it's not a one size fits all and um and we need to have time to kind of process that. And part of being a leader is actually knowing who you are and really unpacking what are my own internal blockers and barriers that are getting in my own way. Um, and another piece, particularly when we're talking to women from abroad, it wouldn't matter where people were from, it's sort of no across all you know, internationally, locally, is that whole concept of power. And so when, when women tend to think about leadership, they think about power and power can have um, some really interesting connotations. So if it's power over, um, as opposed to what leadership and certainly leadership in education is all about is power with mm. and empowerment. And as a leader, providing the enabling conditions for, for teachers to do their best work. So how do you do that? And um, that requires collaboration. So when you think about the types of skills that are needed that are, that are more naturally those kind of feminine archetypal of skills, uh, in, in, in being able to work together, to bring teams together, um, is, is really looking at, well, I have those skills, so how do I unpack those and how do I utilise those and how do, how do I get my voice? And sometimes women tend to think um, we're not strategic because we're not, you know, why do I need to tell somebody what I've done, you know, because they would have seen what I've done. And quite often we do need to be able to explain what we've done, why we've done it, how well we did it and what we learnt from that. So the process in terms of the book is really about saying it's a, it's you can't do it all at once. Um, we put it out in the different chapters because some chapters might actually resonate with you more and you might start there. We also thought it would be a really useful journey. Um, again, with professional learning, it's not like you can afford to come to, you know, a rather large um professional learning opportunity that's a program or a course that's run over 12 months and whilst that would be fantastic uh, and that's how we're actually starting to use the book in those more sort of long-term opportunities we also wanted to provide an opportunity where people who might be mentors uh, could work with with other women in their network or in their schools um, and provide some real firstly reflection but also something to do um, yeah. and I think I think that's that's sort of the critical piece or if we're a group of emerging leaders we can we can do this together so something that's really practical and hands-on but comes back to that whole piece about me first um, and what and my own reflections and then how that plays out for me or how that I bring those strengths to my role as a leader yeah I am um, I was reading through it and the whole um flavor of I think that's the wrong word but the, whole, the flavor of well-being was was present throughout and you know you were referencing the likes of Martin Seligman and, and Tal Ben-Shahar and um, and I guess I'm really interested in one of the reasons I guess I hear a lot of people uh, a lot of women aren't that able if that's the right word or, or are certainly not as uh, it's not as easy for them to progress in the leadership is the whole idea of, of balance across their life so if we look at politicians for example you know, it's it, we see a lot of uh, female politicians stepping down to uh, because of family reasons and things like that. And and I'm wondering in a in a in a system education which is obviously all about kids. To what extent are um, leaders kids <laughs> um, or or would be leaders kids part of um, a barrier? And I guess a broader sense of that is: are there any systemic um, solutions or strategies to try and address this? So. Um, so would-be leaders aren't necessarily making it an either-or, you know, it's either family or my career. I, I think I think that's a broader question as well in terms of um, well-being and uh, career and flexibility. 
uh, in, in many areas, in many areas of work. And I mean, even when I think of the generational change and I'm a baby, baby boomer and I was just looking at some of the information around um, what millennials are looking for in employers. And if you think about this list, um, I only just looked at it yesterday, um, that they would like to stay in, in work where there's, uh, there's a more positive impact on community, uh, it's a motivating and stimulating work environment. There's flexibility in hours and locations, which is a little challenging, I guess, in that school environment. Um, and there's, uh, it supports a healthy work-life balance. Uh, it supports development. And I think, I think that's, a, that's a changing world of work. But in terms of the education um, sector and when it's some of the external barriers, particularly with um, panels and so on, and women have often shared that people, uh, they'll be judged because... Um, um, you know, that they, they may have a child and go on maternity leave. So do we bring this person into our school when they're not going to stay here for very long? They make assumptions and judgments. And, and the very reason that people go on maternity leave is to create, yep. <laughs> you know, our, our own workforce. So, I mean, it's it just, it, it's a challenge. And I think it's about how we look at um, flexibility um, and flexible options um, and that I don't lose my status or um, if I've left the, um, the environment for a while and then I come back, um, I think I think there are, these are the strategic issues that that systems need to look at and, and the different way different ways of of, of leadership, um, flexible options. Um, I'm, I mean, people have you know looked at a variety of avenues through through co-principalship and co-leadership, and and all of these I think are context based because they, you know they need to work in the context uh, in which the strategies are being undertaken, but it's also about opening up our expectations um, with regards to flexibility and wellbeing. And I think the wellbeing piece is absolutely massive when you look at some of the stats that are coming out of uh, wellbeing surveys of principals. Mm. You know, they have high satisfaction, but high stress. And yeah. there's lots of, lots of reasons for that. But it's to me, and I think um, it's that sort of the, the, the business factor. And um, we're modelling sort of behaviours where we're on 24-7, we're accessible 24-7. That's not healthy for anyone and it's certainly not um, enabling you to be productive. So I think the wellbeing piece is critical. Um, I would insert that in any leadership program that I do because it's really about taking taking care of self first. And I think you mentioned um, Chick Set Me High mm -hmm. when he talks about flow. Um, so what are all, when all aspects of our lives are in flow in terms of, you know, mental, um, emotional, uh, physical, uh, spiritual, in terms of, you know, what matters most, what's important to us, um, valuing and taking time for that is absolutely critical. And I think collectively we need to, to value that wellbeing piece more um, in terms of our expectations um, and modelling that for the next group of leaders that we're wanting to come through because as you sort of started off with the question, it's, it's challenging when we have so many other things to think about and women tend to do, um, you know, internationally, um, more of the non-paid work um, in, the, in, in the home um, and, and, and they make decisions that are much more, I guess, radar-like and organic uh, and consider others in, in, their, in their life when making those decisions for leadership. So for systems to make sure that they offer uh, strategies that enable that flexibility and support um, coming out and returning to work and and different ways of and different avenues to be a leader in that system. Yeah, are you seeing? Have you seen any systems around the world which are doing it perhaps better than than others? Are there any examples out there, or at least maybe even the the beginnings of of you know progress in this regard? Um, I think I think 
not necessarily systems. I, I think there is a greater conversation um, about women in, in leadership and why. Firstly, why we want more women in leadership, and secondly, how do we how do we encourage more women to think about stepping up? So um, it's it's we're all on on the same level playing field, but it's actually not women aren't coming to the starting line, so to speak. Um, but now there seems to be that generational change where where people are where we, more women are wanting to come to the starting line and step up. They're just not sure how, and so I think sort of that's that's one area. Um, so the so um, the one one client that I'm working with at the moment, a large education system, is really looking at and and my previous work has sort of come up with. Um, some of the key aspects that we can do to ensure that we have a high quality leadership pipeline uh, or pipeline of, of potential high quality applicants to go into various uh, levels of leadership is really about, is fundamentally about um, recruitment and selection and prior to that talent identification and talent management. And not just to be with, um, you know, waffly about that, how do we actually do that and how do we talk about it and how do we be very explicit about it? So this, um, this system has really looked at um, um, a process and to enable that, but also talking about it very explicitly and giving and thinking about, okay, well, if this is really working, um, what are our benchmarks and how will we know um, that we're improving and what, what are the kinds of structures that support, support that improvement? Mm -hmm. So I would say, yes, there are systems who are looking at making sure that we are getting the best possible high-quality potential leadership applicants for all roles within the education system um, and how do we go about that and that's that focus on early identification. Okay cool. Um, chapter 10 in the book focuses particularly on tough conversations and um, the need to be courageous and a lot of our work in, in schools or in organizations tends to at one point or another settle on this uh, you know how do we have tough conversations or difficult conversations I just thought, um, is this something, given, that, again, the, the topic of your book, is this something that you think women in leadership um, find more challenging or is it just, a, in gen I mean, in general, it's a, a challenging thing, otherwise they wouldn't be called tough conversations, I guess. But um, in, in terms of the work you're doing, what, what, are, what are some of the things you see? And if you've got any, you know, couple of tips or, or things to help people uh, handle those tough situations more with more courageousness or more courage would be the word I think yeah and, and I think I think that's it um, um, I mean as you say we, we all find, like it's a challenge having difficult conversations and tough conversations and some people are engaging that much more easily than others but it's something that just it's like a sharpening the saw and it requires it requires strategy and practice it requires um, uh, how do I go about that? And firstly, if, how do I go about that? It's, it's actually what am I bringing to it? But as one of um, the young, and I, I literally do mean young female leaders that I was talking to recently, just said, what, what this has really encouraged me to do is to stop shying away from the hard conversation. Because, I mean, when you think about relationships, it means everything, education. And so, you know, sometimes we tend to avoid um, offending others or, um, or creating bad feeling. But really, that's just actually not going to be uh, productive or helpful um, and, and, or building other people's capacity. So, and it's a, it's a critical part of being a leader. So I think, I think it's something that, that we all um, would like to sort of be, be really confident at. Mm. But, and I think for women that did come up a lot. So it come, came into that kind of whole piece around 
uh, being a confident uh, leader, um, being able to assert my voice, but also being able to, uh, in the face of sort of some some aggressive challenges, be able to sort of sit back calmly and to be able to deal with that um, appropriately and successfully. And, you know, when you unpack that further, quite often when you have some of those conversations, we're, we're also making assumptions about what the other person's thinking. Mm. So, again, I mean, this is not necessarily as you say, uh, just a, a focus uh, for women is for all of us. But but that that's the kind of conversations are coming back about, you know, not shying away seems to be more of um, how women tend to feel and, and avoid those those conversations. Is, is there anything, you mentioned the word aggression there, you know, is there, is there anything that suggests that um, women in leadership face more aggression than, than males? Um, I don't know if I can say that that categorically, but I just feel that they face, um, I guess, um, different kind of barriers or people may feel they can be more aggressive because they are female. Um, okay. Or um, it's like, and, and many women, and when they talk about the external barriers, particularly around panels, mm. um, and there's a perception from parents that women aren't as strong as men and that men make better principles. I mean, this, this is from a, a survey that was undertaken in 2018, looking at um, some of the barriers that women felt that they faced, yeah. and they were around the hiring practices um, and, uh, and, and the things we talked about around lack of flexibility, mm. but sometimes not being heard, um, um, even in a meeting, not being heard, or even if um, you said um, a particular, uh, created, said, discussed a particular strategy and then, um, and you feel you haven't been heard because then somebody else who happens to be male then repeats that strategy and, yeah. and, and people hear it. Yeah. And Julie Bishop actually, when, in one of her, in a commentary piece, actually talked about that really explicitly. Mm. Um, um, you may have said it, but no one's heard it. And, and that's, I mean, so that really throws it back to not necessarily the person reading this book, right? It comes down to the people who um, are in the room who are, who are there but not really listening. So I, I, I wanted to finish really by um, talking or asking you, you know, I've mentioned the word system a lot, but I also make the case to when I'm working with groups is that, you know, we are the system, you, you are the system. Um, so what are some things that individuals can do in order to better support um, our, um, you know, our colleagues in, in their leadership journey? I think it's about opening up our view of leadership. I think that's a really critical piece. Um, so when we're thinking about, so for example, if I'm a principal of a school and, I, and as, as a profession, we need to make sure that we really we really are nurturing others into leadership roles because we need that, that continual um, high quality leadership impact that, that sort of we started with in the outset. So, and often it's not about finding people who are like ourselves. It's actually, it is about diversity um, and and looking at um, providing avenues for people to, for example, um, take on acting opportunities or provide them with opportunities to, to lead a small team where, you know, they may think that they might not be able to do that, but they've, they've got the expertise to do that. Um, exactly as um, one of the um, groups that I'm working with now is with a, with a small um, cluster within a region. Um, and they really looked at, um, encouraging more women to not only think about leadership but actually supporting them and they realised that there wasn't that support there. So they've created a group of three schools to actually work together um, through a process using the book um, but also coming together for dinners and for networking um, and learning through and with each other. 
Um, so I think it's it's recognising um, very strategic opportunities where people can consider um, some of the roles and aspects of leadership and, and be able to do that in a safe place, um, whether that's uh, work shadowing, um, being mentored or coached by somebody else or, or working in small like-minded networks, um, really providing those opportunities to happen. So systemically, if we talk about where all the system, it's making sure that we're actually having those conversations. Yeah. Um, um, that are actually going to be uh, productive and that we can um, and build everybody's capacity. Absolutely. The book is called Step In, Step Up, Empowering Women for the School Leadership Journey. Um, where can people listening get a copy of that book, Bob? Uh, it's on the um, Hooper Brownlow website or they can get it from Amazon. It's on Apple. Um, and uh, we're also just, Jane and I are just starting a bit of a Twitter feed um, because of, uh, we're sort of getting feedback from our various activities uh, and presentations about um, can we all just talk about this a little bit more but across mm. the world so it's called um, the, the hashtag is um, step in up okay and we'll put that into the into the show notes that'd be great um thank you very much for your time Barb it's been my absolute pleasure I mean thank you thank you for providing the opportunity and um, I'd really love to hear your perspective as well and your reflections on the book so that yeah Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I think it's going to be something that we can recommend um, to lots of people who we're working with as well, and not not just women, <laughs> funnily enough. Um, because, yeah. yeah. And right. I, think, I think there's great synergies. I mean, you say not just women. It's, um, um, I'm hoping that men in education and leaders in education for men will actually find this really useful in supporting, in supporting others, uh, other right. aspirant leaders. I'm, I'm sure they will. Thanks very much, Bob. My pleasure. Thanks, Dan. If you'd like to get yourself a copy of Step In, Step Up, then just click in the show notes and you'll find links to do that, as well as find more information about Barbara's work. If you found this episode useful, please do share it with your networks and uh, don't forget to like it and perhaps even comment on it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, most importantly, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or Podbean, wherever you uh, happen to be listening. Also, if you want to submit a question for a future episode or perhaps even suggest a, a guest for an interview, then head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the podcast page to do that. But until next time, thank you very much for listening and take care. Take it easy.